0: You this morning, yeah, Merry Christmas, uh, good to see you this morning, and uh, fun to get out on a nice cold day don 't you think a little bit fun, a little bit fun. I took my daughters with me, and we always park way over there and walk and I told them uh, since since I make them say I need a man, you know like we 've talked about i uh, i don 't want to make them too too dependent on a man, so I made him walk. I said, I could drop you off in front of the building, but I'm going to make you walk with me so that uh, even if you need a man every now and then, you still have a little bit of toughness to you. So it wasn't that hard, (laughs) but we had a little bit of fun teasing each other, coming across the parking lot, nice and cold, and it's a fun time of year. And it's beautiful, and it just looks like a postcard outside. It's really, really nice. It's fun. So I know it creates extra work, but uh, it's nice. We'll see what it looks like a week from today, right? Now, I'm not a mind reader, but I uh, can look at you and I can tell that you're really busy and that you've got a lot going on and you're pausing right now for, uh, for a little bit, but that you've got all, all the cylinders are burning As you get ready for Christmas, we're kind of at peak Christmas one week from today. You know, it's going to be uh, it's it's really fun to have Christmas on a Sunday. That's going to be a special morning. So we're looking forward to that milk and cookies. It's going to be a nice morning. So we'd love for you to build a time of worship into your Sunday morning, your Christmas morning at 1030 next Sunday. But uh, also there's an opportunity for you to worship with Mission Church on Christmas Eve. So uh, Saturday night there will be a service. And uh, details are in your worship folder, but uh, that's another option for you as well. And I know you've got to schedule things and everything's in advance and you've got just a lot going on. Everyone's looking for uh, getting ready for relatives, getting ready for family coming in, or maybe you're packing a suitcase because you're going to be going somewhere. You've got some last-minute uh, gift items to take care of and you've got... Uh, uh, lots of cooking and headed to the grocery store and picking stuff up and kind of planning your how you're going to do all that. So I know that you're busy because it is pretty much peak Christmas, but think of how much busier you could be. I mean, it could be worse because uh, there are 7 billion people in the world and you only have to buy presents for a very small fraction of them this year. You know, Out of all 7 billion, most of them aren't giving you a gift. Now think how awful it would be if you went home today and a thousand other people had given you Christmas gifts. At a thousand people, it might be great this year, but next year, what a hassle, you know, because you've got a thousand more people that you're obligated to. Uh, I mean, that's the way it works. People give you a gift, then you owe them. But if they'll just ignore you, then you can ignore them. You have permission not to buy them a gift that 's just kind of how it seems to work so so uh, you don 't worry about most of the other seven billion people on the planet. You just have a small fraction so it could be it could be a lot worse. A lot of people think that way about God as well. they feel like you know what as long as God never does anything for me i don 't have to do anything for him you know uh, if if he'll ignore me, then I can ignore him. And that's the basis on which a lot of people do ignore God. They ignore him uh, on that same basis. They say, you know what? God's really never done anything for me. He's never really done anything for me. And uh, since he's never done anything for me, I really don't have to worry about him. We give ourselves permission not to think about God. We give ourselves permission to uh, ignore his existence or the possibility of his existence. We give ourselves permission to ignore the implications of his existence on the basis of, well, you know what? He's never really done anything for me. As long as he's never done anything for me, then I don't really have to worry about him. But what if God actually has done something for you and you just don't know it? What if God actually has not ignored you, but he's actually reached out to you? and in an extravagant way, and actually done something for you, then all of a sudden, what do you do? I mean, if, if, if it's possible that God has actually done something for you, maybe there's some kind of response that is needed from you. And that's what I'd like for you and me to consider today, that it's possible that God has actually acted on your behalf and done something for you. And I know that maybe this morning you're like, I really don't want to have that conversation (laughs) because God and I have achieved a certain kind of equilibrium. God and I are at equilibrium. He doesn't do anything for me, and I don't do anything for him. He doesn't, you know, and, and I would like to, my life is simpler right now, and I don't really want to mess with that equilibrium. I'd like to keep it the way it is. I understand that. I understand you kind of make your peace with the way things are and and you kind of figure out how you want to live your life and you say, like, I'm at equilibrium with God. I really don't want to mess with that. But if God actually has acted on your behalf, I'm just going to suggest that maybe it's something fantastic that He's done for you and that maybe it could have fabulous implications just great implications for you and your life important implications for you and that this equilibrium maybe isn't that great after all if God has actually acted on your behalf so I'd like you to be willing to consider that with me as we look at a passage that we've been in all of the month of December we've been exploring a passage that is recorded by a man named Paul now Paul was an opponent, an opponent of the Jesus movement. That, that in those days, they didn't call it Christianity. When the Jesus movement first began, people referred to it as the way. And Paul was an opponent of the way. And Paul liked to round up people of the way. And he, uh, it, it had messed with his equilibrium, these uh, people of the way, because he was a devout Jewish uh, religious person. And these people of the way had kind of turned their back on some of the things that he felt were important. And so he took it upon himself to round up these people of the way and to imprison them. And he did all of this until the day that he actually met the resurrected Jesus. Now, when you would go around thinking that someone's dead... And you'll go around on the basis of the fact that they are dead, disparaging their name and their values, and then you actually have an encounter with them. That's an awkward moment. And Paul had an awkward moment with someone that he had felt was dead. He was sure that he was dead, and then he actually has an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter changed Paul's mind, as you might imagine. And he changed his mind about Jesus, and instead of being Jesus' greatest opponent, instead of being an opponent of the way, he became a proponent of the way. Actually ended up recording almost one-third of what we call the New Testament today. That's how big of a change of mind he had after he encountered Jesus. He ended up penning about a third of what we call the New Testament And in one of those letters, he writes to a group of believers in the city of Philippi. They're people of the way, people who follow the way in the city of Philippi, and he writes a letter to them. And in that letter, he gives us a very boiled-down, highly concentrated description of Jesus. It really takes the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, I don't know how many chapters, but probably around 80 chapters or more, and boils, boils all those 80 chapters down to about six verses. Six verses that in this highly potent form describe exactly who Jesus is and exactly what he's done for us. And what's interesting about this teaching is not only that it's by Paul, who used to be an opponent and now is a proponent, but it's also interesting because, of, because these six verses are really old. They predate the writing of the book of Philippians. Some scholars think that these six verses were actually an early creed that was recited by the church, or if not a creed, an early hymn, a song that was sung by the church, but we know that whatever form this might have taken, whether it was a he, a creed, or a hymn, that this, these six verses predate the writing of the book of Philippians because Paul assumes that everyone, he uses these six verses as an example. And Paul assumes that everybody understands this example already. And so we have something that predates the writing of the book of Philippians and that was actually uh, takes us back... To when people who knew Jesus, it takes us back to, to how people who knew Jesus viewed him. So, we're coming into contact with some really really authentic, old truth about Jesus within decades of his life. And we're going to read this passage. And what's powerful about it is it's not about Jesus' words. We don't have anything in this passage about what Jesus said. It's all about what Jesus did. If actions speak louder than words, then these verses speak very powerfully because it's something that Jesus did. So let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. You might have a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you if you didn't bring a copy with you. You can get online and do that. You can get on Trinity's app and do that. We're going to be reading in Philippians 2. And we're going to be backing up not just to this section of Scripture that we want to talk about, but we're going to back up a little bit and get a running start. And we're going to see how Paul appeals to the church at Philippi. He wants them to follow the very same kind of, of behavior that Jesus exhibited. And then he pulls out this known example of Jesus and his behavior, this old description of who Jesus is, and that's what we'll look at this morning. So Paul says in Philippians 2, 4, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're going to be looking at that uh, very last section of this teaching next Sunday, and it's uh, going to be a great way to celebrate Christmas together. But uh, this morning, we're actually in the tensest part of this whole section. We're actually at at the very kind of climax of the whole section what we're going to be looking at this morning so just to kind of bring us up, catch us up we've spent most of our time on the very first paragraph in uh, the two Sundays prior to today first Sunday we talked about Jesus being in very nature god equal with god we said that those words very nature the word morphe it means exact correspondence to so Jesus is in exact he is in fact god he is equal to God, and we spent one whole Sunday looking at how Jesus is God, and that that was consistent with Jesus' own view of himself. Remember, we talked about that. Then we took it one step further last week, and we said, this one who is eternal God now has become a human being, that he is at the same time now eternal God and a human being, and that that is kind of the mystery of Christmas, and that catches us up to where we are today. And what we see today is that this one who was eternal God, who took upon human flesh, here's what he did. Being found, second paragraph, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the eternal God... Eternal God taking on human flesh, that's shocking. I mean, that's hard to even comprehend, but that's not what's most shocking here. That is an amazing action to take, that eternal God would confine himself to human body, but that's only the beginning of the story here. That's just where it starts. What happens next is what's really shocking, that this one who is eternal God takes on a human body, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself. He humbles himself, sets aside his agenda, sets aside his self-interests, and doesn't consider himself above anything. He, he did, does whatever it takes to serve us. He takes on the very nature of a servant, our passage tells us, and does whatever it takes to serve our needs and not his own. And that's the shocking part. I mean, that's, he humbles himself. We talk a lot about Jesus becoming humble this time of year because we reflect on his birth and the circumstances that surrounded his birth. He's born in a a stable, probably a cave, a cave where animals were kept. And then, being born in this cave, he's laid, wrapped in cloths, and he's laid in a feeding trough as, as as a crib, as a bed. And we think of that as and, and it is It's humbling how he humbled himself. Sure, eternal God in a body, born and, and sharing a room with farm animals, stable animals, tremendously humbling, tremendously uh, humbled. But that's not the biggest demonstration of Jesus' humility. It's, it's more than that. The biggest demonstration of his humility is what happens after he humbles himself. It says that he humbles himself He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He not only enters a human body, but he allows himself to experience the death, the most broken part of his creation. So here we have the eternal God who set in motion the whole universe, who set in motion the rules that would govern the universe, and then himself, he enters the story that he, that he himself set in motion. He enters the story that he set in motion and allows himself to experience the most broken part of his creation, physical death, the death of the body. He became obedient to death. That's how he humbled himself. But that's not even, the so to speak, the height of his humility. Uh, it's not just that Jesus allowed himself to experience death, the height of his humility is the kind of death that he experienced. Death on a cross. It's exactly how it's reflected here. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. What, uh, what people of the way knew then that people of the way don't know today is what a horrible death, crucifixion was. Uh, it wasn't that... When Jesus died, he didn't just die the natural peaceful death of old age. He didn't die the arbitrary death of a freak accident. He didn't die a noble death of a soldier martyred for a cause. Instead, he died on a cross. And there was no more humiliating and painful way to die than to die on a cross. Because death by crucifixion was actually intended to to make a statement to send a message. So death by crucifixion was uh, the, Roman, the Roman government, uh, it was one of the ways that they executed, one of the ways they carried out capital punishment. So uh, it wasn't the only way they carried out capital punishment. It was the way they carried out capital punishment when they wanted to make a statement. When they wanted someone to suffer publicly, they would crucify them on a cross. Uh, you look into some of the research, some of the historical research about the practice of crucifixion, and you realize that, that uh, you realize what what a stigma it carried with it. That it, it was meant to execute someone in as painful and humiliating way as possible. Now, that's not really what you. Lo- that's not really a very Christmasy thought, and I understand. But if you really want to appreciate uh, the value of Christmas, you have to understand the horror of crucifixion. Because that's where Christmas leads to. And that's, that's the whole point of Jesus becoming a man. That crucifixion in Jesus' day was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was If you were just an average criminal in, in Roman times, if you were just an average criminal and you'd committed a crime worthy of, of capital punishment, they'd just cut off your head and it'd be done. I mean, that's what they did. They'd just cut off your head, we're done with it, uh, death with dignity, as much as it, you know, at least in that day. But if you had done something particularly heinous, if you had done something that, that the Roman government wanted to send a message to everyone around, don't be like this guy, they wouldn't cut off your head, they'd hang you on a cross. They'd put you on a cross to humiliate you, and, and to allow you to experience maximum pain. And they only did this to the worst of the worst. First of all, if you were a Roman citizen, if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be, uh, you couldn't be crucified anyway because you had rights. And one of those was the rights not to be crucified. Even if you experienced capital punishment, you have the right not to be crucified. Uh, crucifixion was reserved for non-Romans who were slaves or hardened criminals. It was really for the dregs of society. Crucifixion... Uh, is not, is not something, it was not the subject of, of romantic poetry or beautiful paintings. Crucifixion was not the subject of romantic art like it is today. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says that crucifixion was not common in art until everyone who'd seen a real one had died off. Once everyone who'd seen a real crucifixion was dead, then it became the subject of art, but not before the pain and humiliation that came with crucifixion was unique and that's how god humbled himself he didn't just experience the broken death that, you know brokenness of death in, in a normal way but he became subject to death on a cross and that's selfless And you know what this reveals about God? That he would humble himself, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. It tells us that God is a God of extreme love. He's a God of extreme love. And the reason that he took such drastic action, and the reason that he himself went to such significant lengths was because he loved you. And me. He loved the, the human race that he had created and was now alienated from. And he loved us so much that he was willing to go through this extreme humiliation and extreme pain, allowing himself to be put to death on a cross, the creator of the universe, because he loved the people that he made and he wanted things to be right with them. He, becoming a human being and put to death was the one way to win us back. To himself. That's how John, one of Jesus' closest friends, puts it. When John says this. John knew Jesus probably better than any any other human being. And he says this. This is how God showed his love among us. That he he, uh, sent his one and only son. That word one and only means one of a kind. He said his one of a kind son. that that, That we might live through him. That's why God did this extreme act, so that you could live through what Jesus has done for you, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, that's puny, but that He loves us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the reason that God went to these extreme lengths is because He loves us. And we need rescuing. He loves you. And you need rescuing. You need someone to cover for your decades of ignoring God. You need someone to cover for your decades of doing your own thing. You need someone to cover for that. And that's why you and I, we we need an atoning sacrifice. An atoning sacrifice means someone to pay for our decades of ignoring God. Someone to pay for our Rebellion against God. And now, thanks to Jesus, anyone who looks to Him can receive the benefits of having an atoning sacrifice made on their behalf. Anyone who looks to Jesus can receive forgiveness of sins, repaired relationship with God, a purpose for living today, and the promise of heaven when we die. Now, we said a few minutes ago, it's easy to ignore someone when they've never done anything for you. But when someone does do something for you, especially something significant, that demands some kind of response. And up to this point, maybe you and God have been at this equilibrium. He doesn't mess with you, you don't mess with Him. You don't ask too many questions, and He leaves you alone. But now, once you understand that God has gone to such extreme lengths to have a relationship with you because He loves you so much, once you understand that, all of a sudden that equilibrium is gone. And you see that God has acted significantly on your behalf, and you need to respond. That's what we've been talking about this month. We've been reminding ourselves and sharing with our friends the fact that God has acted. That God has there is not equilibrium here. God has has acted in an extreme way, and now it's our turn to respond. And that's that's a scary thing to think about. You know, well, what am I supposed to do? If God's done all this for me, then I guess I have a whole lot of things I better do for Him. Well, that's the beautiful part: is that all you need to do to receive the benefits of why Jesus came is turn to Jesus, make a life decision. May, change your mind about who He is and what He's done for you. It's just changing your mind. Decide once for all that whatever you've thought about Him up to this point, you're just going to change your mind. And you're going to say, okay, I, I now have changed my mind, just like Paul did about Jesus. He changed his mind and looked to Jesus and said, I believe you're who you say you are now. I changed my mind. I give up. I believe you're exactly who you say you are, the one that God sent to make things right with the world. And I, he changed his mind. A lot of people like to add a lot of other stuff to that. You know, that you've got to clean up your life. There isn't, you don't have to clean up your life. That would, take a, that would take too long, wouldn't it? That would just take too long and be too much work. Not possible. Not possible. Uh, you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get uh, things in order before you make that choice. There aren't any uh, uh, hoops that you have to jump through. There are no rituals or church obligations, despite what you might hear. It really is as simple as turning to Jesus and seeing Him as the one God sent. Just changing your mind. Changing your mind once for all and saying, I believe Jesus is who He said He was. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to perform rituals. You don't even have to be baptized. Baptism is a great decision for a person who's already made that life choice. Then it's a legitimate and and important decision. But before then, it's not how you get there. It's just changing your mind. And this month, we've been encouraging people who've never made that life decision to do just that. Because it's such a great time of year to to, uh, fully appreciate who Jesus is and what He's done and to really make that kind of a change. And so I know that... You know, if you've never made this decision, you, you're probably, there are all kinds of places between here and there that you could be. And uh, the most important thing we want to do is wherever you are on the spectrum, you've not really made up your mind about who Jesus is. The one thing we'd love to see you do this December is just take one step in that direction, whatever that next step is. For you, that next step might be I've got to learn more about, I, I've got some questions that need to be answered, I've got some issues that need to be overcome. I still have questions about who Jesus is and how I can know for sure, and uh, maybe that's your step. So we have a book that we're giving away all all this month at the guest services table. You can just pick one up. It's called "The Case for Christmas," written by a journalist named Lee Strobel, and he's done a lot of a lot of footwork and a lot of writing about some of the biggest some of the big hurdles that people have about who Jesus is. So you could pick up a copy of this uh, book and. Uh, and it will address some of your biggest questions about who Jesus is. That'd be a great next step for you. Maybe your next step is you don't have these questions anymore, but you you just need to talk to somebody. You need a little bit of back and forth with someone. You need to have a conversation. We would love to see you take that step. If that's your next step, then you've got friends at Trinity. Maybe there's someone here that you know. Maybe you don't know anybody. You're not sure who to talk to. So all you need to do is come to one of the pastors or put it on your blue connection card and we'll get in touch with you and say, I need to talk to someone about what it means to choose Jesus. So maybe it's a conversation that's your next step. Maybe it's just uh, continuing to be part of this faith family and part of the teachings and the life that's here and building relationships here as you figure this out. Then we invite you to do that. Even if you are, a, a, you know, and even if you were to say, "Hey, you know what? I don't really believe what you believe." That's okay. You're welcome here. We would love for you to be part of uh, of conversation. We'd love to uh, see how God would use your presence here to help you kind of figure these things out. But maybe you're here and you've got all your questions answered. Or at least, you know, the big ones. And uh, you know it's really just between you and God now and it's time for you to make this decision. Then it's, it's really just as simple as changing your mind about who Jesus is. It's a life decision. It's a spiritual uh, transaction that has big implications. But it starts with a very simple step. You just change your mind about Jesus. We say it's as simple as A, B, C. A is you just admit that you need a repaired relationship with God. Admit that you have decades of ignoring God in your resume, and it's time to get that fixed. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the one who came so that you could have life. And C, choose. Choose to change your mind about Jesus. Choose to make him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, and that's how simple it is. And this morning, we'd love to see uh, someone here take that step And if that's you this morning, it's as simple as just telling God you're changing your mind about Jesus and you want the benefits that come with that. That's as simple as it is. If you make that choice, put it on your connection card and let us know about that so we can help you with the next step. So wherever you are on that spectrum, there's a next step that I hope you'll consider taking. And then to those of us who've already made this life choice, I know that this room is mostly filled with people who've already decided this and that's why you're here. Here's what I'd say to you. It's really simple. It's really simple. Paul tells the Philippian believers, be like this. Be as selfless and giving as Jesus is, and be willing to do whatever it takes to put the needs of others above your own. At Christmas, we have lots of opportunities to do that, but as a faith family, we're taking on one opportunity, that's... Uh, our reverberate Christmas offering, where we're going to uh, and have been giving in significant ways. And I appreciate the response. It's already been uh, that we've already experienced so far towards this special offering. As we give this offering, we're going to be giving 100% of it away to uh, different needs, uh, spiritual and spiritual needs, and other kinds of needs in uh, the Walla Walla Valley. And so, reminder for us. We're to put the needs of others ahead of our own. This is a very tangible way that as a faith family that we can do this. We're getting close to just a couple more chances to do that before the year's out, and, and we're done. So to those of us who are part of this faith family, this is an opportunity for us to participate in a significant way and to act like Jesus and be selfless like Him. So what I'd like to do is I want to give you a minute. I'd like to pray and then give you a minute of quiet for, the, for you to think about what your next step is, making a life decision about Jesus or cho- choosing to act like him by uh, being selfless. And, and then I'll pray and we'll give our offering. Father, I pray that you'll speak to each of us about the next steps that you want us to take. I pray that you'll speak to those here this morning who need to make up their mind about Jesus. You'll give them the boldness to do that, to at least take the next step. And then for those of us who are Jesus followers, that we would exemplify Jesus by being selfless like Him. Take a minute. Think about what God might be saying to you. And then I'll close with prayer. Father, we thank You for the truths that we've been talking about this morning, about who Jesus is and why he came, and that he gives us repaired relationship with you. We're thankful that you're at work in the world and you have extended yourself to us. We don't want to ignore you. We want to respond to you. I pray that you'll help us to do that this morning. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, I'd like to direct our attention back to our worship folder uh, this morning and just help you navigate a few things here. Uh, the first of which we've we've heard about uh, continually, and and just want to mention one more time, and that's our blue card. Um, in this connection connection card, if you're a guest with us, we'd just like to know you're here. Uh, we'd like to know that you uh, spent your your Sunday morning with us, um, and that we we also I want to mention we have a gift for you there besides the. Book that Brad mentioned, there's also a, a special gift on the guest services table. We'd be delighted if you'd take that on your way out. Um, and uh, we've also been talking this month about Reverberate Christmas. And this little insert explains again what that's all about. The main thing is that we've been challenged to spend less in order to give more. Now, if you're Uh, If you're like me, you're starting to feel the pressure of this time of year, the pressure of the holidays, both in terms of time and money, and so the the reality of this challenge is is, um, maybe raised a little bit, but our challenge has been to spend less, to give more, and in an effort to give to three areas one we've one is a gospel investment the other a civic investment and here we're going to uh, learn about the third part of this um, investment
0: this christmas at trinity we're doing something special as part of our desire to reverberate and raise a level of common grace and saving grace in our valley We're taking on a challenge to spend less on ourselves so we can give more to others. We're taking all four Sundays in December to give to a special reverberate Christmas offering. And then when we're done, we want to give it all away. We want to give one third of this offering to a gospel opportunity, one third to a civic opportunity, and one third to an opportunity that we haven't identified yet, because you're the ones who will come up with this idea. One-third of this offering will go to a project that one of you wants to pull off to make disciples or make a difference. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today, what we call the imagination investment. That's the investment that's going to come through you. Many of the things that God wants to do in our valley, He wants to do directly through you. Not through a church program, but through you. Through an idea only you have through an ability that only you have, through an opportunity that maybe only you can see. And that's what one portion of our Reverberate offering is all about. It's an open invitation to any person or any group at Trinity to dream up a way that will make a difference in our valley, and then turn that dream into a doable plan and submit it to a panel of people who will sort through the various ideas to find and then fund the one that they believe will have the biggest impact. I'm really excited to see what God does through you on this one. We're already receiving ideas, and I hope that you or you and your growth group or you and some like-minded friends will get together and submit your own idea. And then remember, you're not just the idea people, you're also the group or person who will take responsibility to put this plan into action. And here's what you need to do this. A proposal some guidelines, and a good idea. And here's the great part. Even if you're not an idea person, or even if it's not your idea that gets picked, we all play a part in the impact of this new, unknown ministry by giving to Reverberate Christmas. So keep that in mind, participate generously in this special opportunity, and together, let's see what God does through you. So this Christmas see- at Trinity.
1: Oh. Sorry to interrupt you, Brad. <laughs> so you'll see an envelope that we've included in your worship folder, and uh, the we're, we're coming to the finish line on this, and I think this is just a wonderful, unique opportunity, and uh, to to make an investment, a gospel investment, in a variety of ways as we try to impact um, our community. And so I want to encourage you also, if you're like me, um, if there's any room in, in, your, in your budget, if you feel that there's a whatever proportion you can give, I would encourage you to respond in that way. Because every contribution is, is part of making this impact and making uh, this thing uh, happen. So I want to encourage you with that. Finally, I want to introduce uh, Bryson Goble. Now, I I didn't have a chance to meet him this summer. He was here with us last summer, uh, and he helped lead worship. And it happened to be a day when I was gone. I don't know where I was. But um, anyway, it's my pleasure to reintroduce you. He's a student at Corbin University. And are you, what year are you in? Junior. Junior. And uh, he's going to uh, lead us in a, a song here as we... Prepare to give the offering. Uh, He's going to lead us, and I think you'll be blessed by him. So take it away.
0: I can't think of a better way to conclude this morning than let's all stand. Let's sing with Bryson, and he's going to lead us as we close. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth like it's done in heaven. We ask Jesus to come quickly. We know that when he comes, everything will be made right. We can't wait for that day. There is a lot of broken stuff between now and the day that Jesus comes. So we're ready now. And we pray that uh, you will come. We thank you for uh, who you are and what you've done in our lives. As we go from the church gathered to the church scattered today, this week, we pray that we'll bring Jesus with us as the light of the world. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right. Thanks. Merry Christmas.